This is GM Word of the Week, and I'm Fiddleback. Riddle As we mentioned last week when discussing the Sphinx, we here at the Word of the Week love a good riddle. And in that episode, we mentioned not one, but two of the riddles of the Sphinx. The first was why there were boy and girl Sphinxes in Dungeons and Dragons, and that's why we wrote that episode. The second riddle is why we're writing this episode. That one being the famous riddle that the Boeotian Theban Sphinx asked Oedipus before he was rexed in Sophocles' classical play. And, as any fan of fantasy games and literature will tell you, there is a long-standing tradition in the culture of people being posed riddles by terrible monsters. Or tyrannical kings, or wily gods. Of course, the er example in modern fantasy literature is the famous riddle contest between Gollum and Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit. We discussed that scene a long time ago in our episode about rings, but did you know that Tolkien was just ripping off a Scandinavian epic or two? And maybe a 10th century book of Anglo-Saxon poetry? Even the part where Bilbo technically cheats and asks, what have I got in my pockets? See, the story of riddles in literature, folklore, and mythology is actually a very long one. It goes back a long time, and it takes some surprising twists and turns. And almost every modern incarnation of the riddling hero, villain, god, monster, or spirit, owes its existence to some older tradition. Appropriately, there are often some very enigmatic twists and turns in that history, like the fact that we only know the stories of certain riddles and puzzles because two guys, after dropping out of law school, decided to publish a book of kids' stories to make a quick buck and gain some popularity so they could do what they really wanted to do. Publish academic books on German language and grammar. Or that Bilbo is only the latest in a string of riddling cheats that stretches all the way back to the Bible. So let's see if we can solve the riddle of the storied tradition of riddles and fantastic stories. The riddled story of storied riddles, as it were. First of all, let's make sure we've been clear on what a riddle is. A riddle is a word game or joke. It usually involves a question or statement that's deliberately confusing and misleading, but whose wording also contains clues for the attentive listener. The point of a riddle is for the listener to determine the answer to the question or to explain the statement. Admittedly, riddles themselves are often more fun than that overly pedantic and thoroughly boring definition might suggest. And riddles are often more fun than the pedantic scholars who distinguish between an enigma-type riddle and a conundrum-type riddle. The former is just a basic riddle involving nothing more unclear than a metaphor. The latter involves a pun or other form of wordplay. Enigmas are the normal sorts of riddles you expect golems and sphinxes to pose. Conundrums are... well, it's probably easier to give some examples of conundrums. And feel free to pause the podcast if you want to try your own hand at either of these two classic conundrums. The first is, what is the difference between a jeweler and a jailer? The second is a bit longer and goes like this. There is a man locked alone in a room for a month. All he has in the room with him is a calendar on the wall and a bed in the corner. How does he survive the month? Give up? 
The difference between a jeweler and a jailer is that one sells watches and the other watches sells. And the man in the room survives by eating the dates from the calendar and drinking water from the springs in the bed. Don't blame us. We didn't write those. They're pretty old. And we're just offering them as examples of conundrums. Each involves a pun, a play on words. They can't be solved in any rational way. They can only be answered through linguistic chicanery. And frankly, we don't truck with conundrums much ourselves, except for a laugh. While we're still on the dry etymological side of the word, we should also mention that riddle comes from the same old English root as the word read. The word is redan. Yeah, it sounds like we just said reading and dropped the G. But that's because you can't hear that the word has that ligature with the combined A and E going on. So it's spelled R-A-S-H-D-A-N. Yeah, in Old English, the A-E thingy was called an ash after an Anglo-Saxon rune from the Nordic alphabet. Because that certainly helped you understand that. But, since we're on the subject of Nordicness now, let's discuss Bilbo's Riddle Contest some stolen Nordic riddles, and how Odin cheats as bad as Bilbo. See, Norse mythology is actually rife with riddles. In the great granddaddy of Norse mythological compilations, the Poetic Edda, numerous riddles are flung around between mortals and deities and supernatural entities for various reasons. Of course, you know all about the Edda. We've talked about it at least twice in previous episodes. Basically, it's a huge collection of old Norse poems, myths, and stories dating back to between 800 and 1000 CE. It was compiled by the Icelandic historian, lawyer, and politician Snorri Sturluson around about 1200 CE after he took a couple of vacations in Sweden. Anyway, lots of Norse stories involve riddles. And one riddle in particular from the Edda goes like this. Thirty white horses on a red hill. First they champ, then they stamp, then they stand still. The answer is teeth. Or as Gollum says, teethsies. Yes, that's because Bilbo posed the same enigma to Gollum during the famous riddle contest. Of course, Tolkien acknowledges that much of his work was influenced by the Poetic Edda specifically and Norse mythology more generally. Perhaps that's why he felt that Bilbo could get away with cheating and still be a hero. After all, it worked for Odin. See, the Poetic Edda isn't the only collection of Norse mythology. There's lots of Norse mythology. For example, there's this saga from the 13th century called the Hervarar Saga. It concerns the story of the magical sword Tyrfing as it changes hands from wielder to wielder. Eventually, it ends up in the hands of Heidrig, king of Redgotaland. The saga is of great interest to historians because, among other things... It details the historical wars between the Huns and the Goths. And it's of interest to us because it's got a marathon riddle contest made up of some 30 riddles. And it ends in much the same way as Bilbo's riddle contest, with one person cheating and the other crying foul and then trying to kill the cheater. The story goes that one day King Heydrich got mad at this guy named Gestem Blindy, and he demands that Gestem Blindy appear before him to face punishment. Now, Gestem Blindy was understandably worried, and so he prayed to Odin for help. The next day, there's a knock at Gestem Blindy's door, and there on the doorstep is Gestem Blindy. 
or at least someone who looked just like Geston Blindy. But he was wearing different clothes. The other Geston Blindy tells the real Geston Blindy to swap clothes with him and go into hiding, and then the other Geston Blindy answers the summons. Not to give away the ending, but Geston Blindy is a long name to type and hard to say, so both we the writer and we the producer have agreed to just reveal it's Odin in disguise. Odin, disguised as that other guy, shows up at the king's hall, and the king is about to lay into him, not realizing he's Odin, when Odin employs a classic Arabian Nights gambit. That's the trick wherein you distract a crazed ruler with something really interesting, so they don't want to kill you. In this case, Odin in disguise starts spouting riddles at the king. And the king, though he doesn't like having his intellect challenged, also doesn't want to lose the challenge. So he keeps answering the riddles as they get progressively harder. The problem is, the king is actually really good at solving riddles, which is pretty impressive given that the dude giving the riddles is the Allfather with a pair of all-seeing birds who clove out one of his own eyes in return for infinite knowledge. In short, Odin is a pretty smart dude. And he's starting to dig pretty deep into his riddle bag. And the king is keeping up. Eventually, Odin transitions from riddles about eight-footed, four-eyed monsters with furry knees above its belly, that's a spider, to mythological events that only Odin himself was actually present for. Unfortunately, the king is very schooled in mythology. Not only does he correctly answer the questions about mythology too, he also starts to suspect who he's dealing with. Finally, in desperation, Odin in disguise blurts out a riddle that has saved his mythological butt in the past. What were the words Odin whispered in dead Baldur's ear at his funeral? And that was the last straw for the king because that's not a riddle. It's like asking, okay, if you're so smart, what's in my pocket? The king gets royally furious, accuses Odin of cheating, identifies him correctly as Odin, and tries to kill him. Yes, he figured out the guy cheating at the riddle game was the father of all the gods and king of the cosmos and decided to try to stab the dude. And Odin, showing remarkable restraint, turned into a bird and flew away. But King Heydrich did manage to clip his tail. Of course, Odin wasn't the first riddle cheat to ask a question only he knew the answer to. To find that dude, we have to go back to the Bible the Old Testament, specifically the book of Judges. The book of Judges is the seventh book of the Hebrew Bible and of the Christian Old Testament, and it basically describes a period of time during which the Israelites are going through a bit of a governmental transition. Basically, they've followed God's directions out of Egypt and come to Israel, and they've conquered the land, but they haven't established their own kingdom and government yet so they are ruled by a series of champions and prophets known as judges. There's a bit more to it than that, like the fact that the Israelites keep screwing up and offending God, so God brings an enemy down on them. Then they repent, and God sends a champion to save the Israelites and lead them for a while. And that's how we get to the point where Samson is in charge. He's the last of the judges, and basically, he was kind of like Jewish Hercules. He was very powerful, super strong, really, and he helped the Israelites defeat the Philistines. Now, Samson was tough, good, and a strong warrior, but he wasn't a great guy. 
and the verses dealing with him don't sugarcoat that. He was the hero the Israelites needed at the moment, but he was not a role model by any stretch. He was basically a meat-headed vigilante playboy who was born to do one thing, beat the Philistines. That's clear from the day an angel visits his mother Manoah, who has been heretofore unable to have children, and tells her she's going to have a kid and she'd better not drink while she's pregnant because he's going to be a destined hero of God. And also, to never cut his hair. Because again, destined hero. Anyway, Samson decides that the best way to fight the Philistines who have enslaved the Israelites is to infiltrate them. So he decides to marry Delilah. And on his way to meet his bride, he accidentally rips a lion in half with his bare hands and discovers he has super strength. Then he accidentally rips 30 Philistines in half, too. And the fight is on. Eventually, he ends up killing thousands armed only with a jawbone. And then there's the episode with the Philistine woman Delilah and the cutting of his hair, which saps his strength until God gives him one last burst of strength with which he collapses an entire temple on himself and the Philistine priests and worshippers. You probably know most of this story. But do you know the part about the wedding riddle? At Samson's first wedding, he suddenly stands up to deliver a speech. Except instead of a speech, he challenges the attendees at his wedding to answer a riddle. If they can answer the riddle in a week, he'll give them each a bunch of brand new linen clothes. But if they can't answer, they have to present him with a bunch of clothes. And so it's on. And he says, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. And no one has the faintest idea what he's talking about. After days of racking their brains, they finally do the only thing they can think of. They secretly pump Samson's wife for information. And she says, oh, that's easy. It's honey out of a lion's mouth. And everyone is baffled. Because that makes no sense. But they give the answer anyway, and Samson gets miffed and says, the only way you could have known that is if you talk to my wife, you cheaters. So what's the deal? Well, remember how Samson ripped that line in half on his way to meet his bride? Which he never told anyone about, by the way. Least of all his potential in-laws. Well, a few days later, some bees had come to build a nest in the lion's mouth. And Samson saw that. And he grabbed a glob of honey and brought it to his in-laws. And they shared it. But he never told them it came from a bee's nest and a lion's carcass that he had inadvertently ripped in half with his divine super strength. But later that night, he did tell his wife to be. Basically, hey sweetie, remember that honey I brought? Well, guess where that came from? This is so funny. The point is, Samson asked a riddle as part of a bet that only he and his wife could possibly know the answer to. Right on par with that whole what were my last words to my dead friend and what's in my pocket, right? Anyway, getting back to the poetic Edda and riddles passed down through Norse mythology. Can you guess what other collection of folkloric words containing riddles might only be remembered today because a politician quit politics and became obsessed with compiling folklore? Well, okay, technically, it wasn't one politician, it was two lawyers. And they weren't really obsessed with compiling folklore. It just worked out that they did a bunch of it. But it did help make them famous. Well, now anyway. At the time, they were more famous for a book on German grammar. 
We're talking about Jacob Ludwig Grimm and Wilhelm Karl Grimm, the Bruder Grimm, or in English, the Brothers Grimm, and their classic work, Kinder und Hausmarken, the book of children's and household tales, Grimm's fairy tales. Now, Jacob and Wilhelm were just the two oldest kids in a family of seven brothers and sisters, and they lived in the Hessian towns of Hanau and Steinau. That's in modern Germany. Their father was a clerk, a lawyer, a judge, and a minister in the Calvinist church. Now, the brothers were scholarly inclined, and they began studying the law with the intent of entering government service. But they also loved folk poetry and folk music. And they were very interested in folklore in general, as well as in literature and linguistics. The problem was that their large family was struggling financially, especially after their father, Philip, died in 1796. Their studies were disrupted numerous times, and the Napoleonic Wars didn't help matters any. They didn't serve in the war, but their home passed into French control at one point. It actually worked out pretty well for Jacob, as he became a private librarian for the King of Westphalia and ended up as an auditor under the French imperial government for a time. But Wilhelm had trouble keeping more than odd jobs until 1814, when he ended up as a secretary in Kassel, where Jacob happened to be working to recover Prussian books stolen by the French during the now-finished Napoleonic conquest. Once the two were reunited, they figured out that all this lawyering, clerking, and politicking wasn't working out for them. Nor was the struggling and odd jobbing in Wilhelm's case. They gave up on the law. They wanted to devote themselves to historical study, especially folklore and language studies. But there were two problems. The first was that they were facing the beginnings of the Gothic Romantic movement. That's the movement of the 18th and 19th century, where everyone started to romanticize the late medieval era and thought shining knights in service to God and courtly romance with chaste queens and princesses was the way to go, and that the modern world sucked. We've talked about that before, too. That's why we have all the stories about King Arthur and Robin Hood. Well, the Grimbros were having none of that. They knew their Germanic folklore, and they knew a thing or two about how life had really been. Nasty, brutish, and short in the words of one author, or dark and full of terrors in the words of another. So no one was going to hand them anything to preserve a bunch of dark, mean folklore that took shots at the romantic notions of the day. Which brought around the second problem. Money. They were having enough money problems as it was. If they decided to leave their various legal and civil jobs and just start preserving historic stories and studying language, they were going to be broke. And so they decided to publish something they thought would be an easy sell to start with. Something simple to get their name out there, build some cash, and then they could get into the real scholarly stuff later. And so they collected a bunch of folk stories, 200 of them. And they sold the collection to a couple of their friends who liked that sort of thing. And those friends convinced them to publish the stories. And it was their friend, Akim von Arnim, who even suggested the name Children's and Household Stories. It implied that the stories were for kids and adults alike. And it worked. Modestly. The book sold well in Germany at the time. It became pretty popular, popular enough to keep the Grimm's in business. Eventually, they published other compilations, and they raised a little bit more money. And finally, they were able to publish their most popular work, German Grammar which was a complex study of the Germanic language in which they posited a fascinating theory about the changing of consonant and vowel sounds over time 
and a way of relating different languages based on the evolution of those sounds. The theory eventually became known as Grimm's Law, and they became renowned scholars, historians, and folklorists. These days, of course, it's the children's book they publish to start their company up that they are remembered for, which includes a lot of classic fairy tales like Snow White, but also contains a number of stories like The Riddle, The Peasant's Wise Daughter, and Rumpelstiltskin, which all feature clever characters outsmarting wily riddlers, or outsmarting people with wily riddles. We could go on. We could mention the 10th century collection of poems known as the Exeter, which contains a whole chapter of riddle poems. We could mention the oldest still extant riddle, which is written on an ancient Sumerian tablet from Lagash from 2300 BCE, and a number of Near East Babylonian riddles, which directly influenced Greek mythology. But unfortunately, like everyone else, we're a slave to the thing that all things devours. Birds, beasts, trees, and flowers. The thing that gnaws iron, bites steel, the thing that grinds hard stones to meal, something that slays kings and ruins towns, and something that beats high mountains down. So we have to go. Sorry. This has been GM Word of the Week. It's written and researched by the Angry GM and produced by me, Fiddleback. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gmwordoftheweek. You can find more at gmwordoftheweek.com and theangrygm.com. Thank you.